Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. So I know you wanted to chat about distributed teams today. Yeah, yeah. I thought, um, you know, since since most of the world is still in some form of a lockdown or either coming in and out or whatever the, the story is, there's probably some some lessons we've all learned that might be worth discussing. Um, you know, a couple that I've thought about, you know, having done it now. South Africa is officially one year into level one, well, into, in, since the lockdown started, I think it was yesterday, but obviously the UK is in a lockdown that's coming out um, slowly but surely. But uh, generally what I'm hearing from most people is they're expecting to still work from home for a while. So. Yeah, it seems, it seems like it, although I, I've started to see more, um, research into what people, I, I think there's a, a difference between what employees want and what employers want when it comes to the back to office plan. So I started to see mm-hmm. that obviously, um, employees are really hooked on flexibility. Now, um, there was a Gardner webinar I attended the other day and they showed that, um, there's a 40, 60 split between those who say, so the 40% say it doesn't matter where my next job is, where they, you know, make me work. That's not a factor. And then the 60% say, um, you know, no, having the ability to determine where I work is important to me. Um, so there's definitely, I think, uh, in all of this, a switch in mindset and a greater value placed on that flexible working, which prior to that, was more of a was seen as more just a perk, I think. Yeah, well, I think I think that's the interesting thing to it all is that um, if you look at the let's say the banks, for example, they they have huge real estate commitments and rental commitments, so they're obviously going to push people to go back to to work to an extent in an office. And I'm not just saying banks. I mean, you look at any organisation that's that's put money into their real estate, they obviously will toe the line to keep people going back to these offices without them having to spend a fortune refresher fitting them to become more collaborative workspaces, which is what we all think they're going to be anyway. Um, but if you look at, at sort of on the other end of the scale, people that don't have those commitments, you know, startups, small businesses, businesses that are traditional non- knowledge worker businesses, they've all realized that you don't need to have this office all the time. Um, and you can work remotely and also, um, that they only need space to meet for specific things. So brainstorming sessions or workshops or, or whatever it is, which, which should help, you know, like the, the sort of travel industries, um, bounce back a bit because people will now travel with, with a different purpose. Um, so yeah, so that's so I think we're going to see some interesting changes in the future when we all can go back to a normal inverted commas life. Definitely, um, 
I mean, there's also the discussion around just the, the office layouts. Um, was it a BBC article we chatted about however many months ago that showed the, um, like a possible future for the office and it had, uh, you know, desks were farther apart and there were um, like plant barriers between to like, you know, capture um, to, to be dividers between spaces and, you know, the use of copper handles on drawers to cut down on, um, you know, stuff that can live on that surface to, to try to be um, healthier as an office, um, plus all the air filtration systems and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see how much of that, um, you know, materializes um, mm. and how quickly people realize um, and how many companies have started that now, because I'm sure there are lots of really large offices that have already started reworking themselves. And then how many will um, like that will be a delay again before potentially bringing people back? Well, I think, yeah, I think your biggest problem with all that is, is, is all these changes not only cost money, um, but but in order to bring someone in to do it, that, that also creates a risky environment because now you got people in doing different things, removing desks to make more space, um, having to put in shields and um, you know, all, the, all the sanitization stuff that you need. Um, so, so yeah, I, I could hear, I could see it happening, but I could also see scenarios where um, businesses become a little bit more, um, what's the word? almost um, shift based where people will come in based on or be allocated time to come in um, to to sort of rotate the desks and the space and all that kind of stuff. Because because I think you will have people that don't have a good working environment at home that want to be in the office every day because that's better than where they are at home. Um, or people that have got, um, you know, spouses, partners, whatever it is, that need the space to work at home while they so they need to go to the office, all those sort of scenarios. So they'll need a they'll need a way a place to go, which may open up um, avenues for the likes of WeWork or Regis or any of those sorts of shared working spaces to to provide flexible working there. Um, and also a company will pay for that as opposed to paying for a big building full of or a big floor for, you know, hundreds of people when only need for twenty five people or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of this too is something that I think comes up again and again on this podcast, which is that again, there's been another shift um, in management mentality between, um, you know, being able to look at people in the office, say they're working, um, that's productivity, just like the visual confirmation that people are at their desks. Mm. Um, versus um, a shift to what are the outcomes that people are providing and measuring that as productivity. Um, but I think there's still, uh, you know, obviously it's it differs from organization to organization, but that productivity soul searching is kind of the crux of what will determine what the business decides to do when it comes to the hybrid work model. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in in that sort of context, I mean, I think the, the the tips that I had in mind for this 
were, you know, based on my own experiences of doing this, you know, not only um, during the pandemic, but previously, and probably the, the first tip is around communication. Um, you almost have to over communicate now because you're not seeing people at their desks or walking past them. Um, and you got to do it in a, in a multi-channel way where you could use, you know, the phone, a Teams call, a WhatsApp, an email, a text message, whatever it is. Um, and almost at the time you need to communicate, but bearing in mind that the person you communicate may not be available to talk to you. Uh, so there's a level of patience, which is probably number two. Um, not everyone can make every call. Not everyone can be available on Instant Messenger all the time. Um, and some people are, are you know, you got to you got to go down to this results orientated way of working, which is worrying about the outcome, not whether they in this in their seat nine to five or eight to six, whatever the the um, expectation is. Yeah, I um, I think you're right that that the ability to maintain that communication and um, you know, make people still feel like they're part of a team that they're not um, being left out of things mm. or just um, still getting that collaboration and not uh, not having multiple people work on this, you know, do the same thing without knowing or there's a lot of talking that needs to happen. Right. Um, mm. uh, it's so key. But um, yeah, I think I was already primed to do that as well, even though. Uh, so when I used to work at the office, most of my team was in a different um, city, just how our like R and D versus, um, sort of sales and marketing split was I was in the R and D office. Um, mm -hmm. so of course I could talk to a lot of engineers and different people like, you know, on the daily, but a lot of my team was uh, at a different branch anyway. So I was already using, you know, teams and email primarily to speak with them anyway. So that wasn't a huge shift. I did yeah. have kind of, um, a light bulb. Well, not really a light bulb moment, but I had a moment yesterday where I messaged someone who I don't talk to frequently in the company, but there was just a piece of information that I came across that I thought they'd want to know. And of course, you know, my team's dot was red. His team's dot was red. <laughs> That's not that unusual to me. You know, I was just like in a meeting, you know, I shot him this message and he's like, oh, I'm in a meeting. And I'm like, yeah, I can see you. I can see you're in a meeting. It was just, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, I guess some people aren't, um, oh, do I need to, you know, for people you don't communicate with as frequently who may not be, you know, um, as accustomed to like asynchronous communication or, um, you just haven't established that, like what the expectation is when you send a mm -hmm. message, like how soon you, you, uh, expect a reply. Um, a lot of the times I get into the habit now of if it's someone I don't talk to as much kind of qualifying it before, um, I even write what it is I meant to say, just to say like, Hey, there's no rush to this or Hey, no need to, you know, respond right away. Just thought you would want to know this or like put something up front to make it clear that, um, yeah, I see that you're not, you know, available right now in terms of a team status, but, I'm going to just tell you this now because if I wait until later, it might not happen. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the important thing is that we've all got to be. Um, uh, in, oh, well, I, I like the, the sort of the term integrated workers, um, where you, you've got to you've got a you've got a 24 hour period where you're going to sleep, you're going to eat, 
you know, do work in that period, you do other things like run your errands and whatever it is. And so other people, so there's going to be overlaps throughout the day. Um, what I'm finding very difficult for myself at the moment is my diary is just filling up with meetings and meetings and meetings. And if I don't put stuff in to block, to break up the monotony, I can be on the phone from nine in the morning till five. Um, and actually have done no work the whole day except for talk. Um, and I don't think that's a healthy thing either. So I'm finding that's, that's definitely something that's needed is to have, um, consolidated, you know, consistent breaks throughout the day and also to walk away from a screen at that, that time. So as I mentioned, I went for a walk whilst I'm listening to, to podcasts and stuff. I'm not looking at a screen that entire time because you need that break for your brain and your, your assets. I mean, ideally you want to actually not be listening to anything and just have total breaks, but I've got too many podcasts to catch up on. So <laughs> I can't afford mm -hmm. to not be listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think there's sort of two tips in what you said. One is around um, sort of reevaluating your meetings um, and, and trying to create a culture of not just booking people straight through all day. And mm. I mean, I, it's hard. I um, I definitely spend more than, you know, half my work hours in meetings now, which I can feel in the well which pushes me to then work longer and longer days. Right. Cause I still mm. need to get the same amount of things done, but you know, or, you know, I do things like I'm in a meeting, but I'm not giving my, you know, always give your full attention to the meeting. Right. If you're more, you know, in the background or if it's a topic that just doesn't need your input as much, you know, you're doing other things, which I suppose was also true pre pandemic, but, um, pre work from home. But yeah, I think, going on a meetings diet or reevaluating those meetings. And then the other thing um, that you were speaking to, which is so critical is just um, kind of making sure that you're taking care of that for yourself, I think, and mm. um, adding those breaks in, blocking that time, you know, um, not being afraid to sort of uh, control your own calendar in that way, instead of letting other people, book all over it for you because at the end of the day, you still need to uh, preserve your sanity and get your work done. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm, I, was, I mean, I could <laughs> control my diary is one of those things that I laugh at for myself because I, I, I use Calendly to book my time out. So if people want to have a meeting with me, I say, here's my Calendly link, just go and find a slot that suits you. Now that, that, that that's sometimes a bit lazy, but it also just removes the whole backwards and forwards around um, you know, when are you available? Give me some times, blah, 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 blah. The challenge with that, however, is if you don't control the parameters around what's available in your diary using that link, now you can set, you know, availability slots and you can set, um, you know, a, a, a sort of buffer period between meetings. So they can't book. So if I give them a 15 minute link and I've got a meeting on the hour and at the half an hour and there's only half an hour gap, they can't book in that half an hour there needs to be a 45 minute gap to get the 15 minute gap, which gives me a buffer in between, which can, can work. But if you don't put in the buffers, you end up, that's where you end up with these, these things back to back to back because the person that's booking your diary using that link has no idea um, that you've actually got a whole bunch of things together. And where it's, where it's hurt me a few times, especially being here in SA is I've gone to the shops or something 
and someone's booked something in my diary and I haven't obviously put that in my diary. I'm going to the shops and I see this meeting pop up and I'm going, there's no way I can be back for that. What, you know, why have they booked that? Then I've realized, oh, they've used the link. Um, and that's where the problems come from is actually not controlling that. So I've got to, that's where I've had to be, um, you know, not my own worst enemy. Um, but the other thing is looking at the attendees. Every time you see a meeting and someone's invited you to something, and you sort of go, well, what's the topic? Why are we doing this? Who's involved? Do we need all these people? Because um, that's one of the problems is there's almost this, you know, and it's a common problem, I think, where we feel like we need to include everyone, but actually you don't need to include everyone. And if, and if you think that's the case, then maybe you need to rethink why you need the meeting and maybe it's more of a um, an instant messenger conversation on a, cha- on a channel with a chat. Um, and then if there's still, you know, no clarity, then you have the meeting because now everyone's had the chance to weigh in. You can see who's actually got an opinion on this thing. And then you have the meeting with the people with opinions. Um, and you don't have people sitting, you know, five people on a meeting room, four of them talking, one of them doing something else because they actually have no value, they see no value in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Very true. Do you have any tips for time differences or does this not affect you? all that much because I know you're working on a slight time difference with your UK team, right? Um, yeah. So, so what I've done is, um, because I'm two hours ahead at the moment and that'll change in a week's time, I'll move to one hour ahead. I've tried to forward load all my personal stuff into the mornings. So when I get up, obviously when I get up in the morning, I've got kids to get to school and, and, you know, I do order to sort out with my wife. Um, we try to get to the gym first, then we try and do our walk with her just to get all that, you know, family time and all that done. So by the time I get in front of my machine at 11 o'clock or so, South African time, and sometimes it's a little bit early depending on what's been booked to my diary, um, I'm then flat out from 11 till 5, you know, with everything. So it's a really compressed day. But then, you know, I don't take breaks during, really, really breaks during that day. Um, and then when five o'clock comes along, then it's my, you know, I pick my son up and, you know, sort them out for two hours till bedtime. And then I catch up any work at night, depending on my energy levels. Um, so that's kind of worked because that's, that's meant from a time zone point of view, I've benefited from the, the gap. And now most of my team is in India, um, or in South Africa, um, depending on who I'm talking to. So that kind of works because when I get up, um, because I'm getting up two hours earlier than the UK, I can do some stuff, you know, during the course of the morning before or in between getting the kids get to school and going to gym and all that kind of stuff. Might, might not be phone calls, but it could be um, Teams chats or emails or, or something quick um, and then leaving the calls for later in the day. Um, when I've got something to get out that I'm getting up early anyway, sort of four or five, four, five in the morning to work before the kids get up. Um, and then I can also still, because the guys in India, I can still work with them. Um, so, so I'm finding that the two hours ahead of the UK actually quite beneficial. When we move back to the UK, uh, which is hopefully sometime soon, um, some of that's going to have to change. So some of the stuff that I'll be doing in the morning will have to come become part of the day. Um, and then I feel like I'm going to lose that time, which is, which, which is silly because you've still got the time. You haven't lost it, but it's just moved around. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes back to that integrated working, um, being able to blend in your your day to day activities, your errands and stuff with your working day, um, and knowing who's available when helps as well. Definitely, 
especially when it comes to uh, managing the teams and different geos, do you use any project management software for work or for uh, to keep your teams together? Uh, what do you mean? Like um, something like Monday.com or uh, Trello or Microsoft Planner or any of those we, sort of Kanban boards? We've tried a whole bunch. Um, we start off with Microsoft Planner, got rid of that. We tried um, Trello for a long time, got rid of that. We are now using a combination of Notion and DevOps, uh, Microsoft DevOps, um, Azure DevOps. Um, obviously, Azure DevOps makes sense from a coding point of view, so all the stories go in there, all the epics, etc. So that works. What I've used Notion for is kind of the bridging the gap between a piece of functionality that's been defined and a piece of functionality that's just an idea. Because what was what's happened what what was happening for us is that we were getting you know a hundred ideas from the business, one-liners, you know, make me coffee when I get in the morning, um, whatever, you know, things that were really like. So what does this actually mean? Like when you see the one-liner. So we put those into Notion and then that gives us a long list. And then once we go through that long list and, and the nice thing about Notion is it's quite flexible in putting in columns and properties and, and then filters and sorting and stuff like that. So that gives us a way to, to shorten that list uh, without polluting our Azure DevOps board. And then what happens is we'll do refinement sessions or even discovery sessions with these requirements and validate the requirements. And once we've validated those requirements, we then move them into the DevOps environment. Now, we still keep all the stories in Notion because Notion gives us quite a nice view on the roadmap and timeline, which is something that we struggle to get out of DevOps. Now, there's whole lots of plugins and all that stuff, but I find it a really poor experience overall to do anything beyond the standard stuff. Um, so Notion gives me that flexibility. Um, and also in the sense I can just drag and drop things and change the order and, and all that kind of stuff. It's not the best tool, um, but it seems to be at this moment in time, the best tool all around for us to use. Um, and also when people make updates, I see the updates and I can go and check them and I can check it on my mobile phone, check it on my tablet. So that experience is consistent. Whereas I find with some of those tools, it's not consistent and certain functionality doesn't work. Um, so we've kind of settled on Notion at the moment as our main sort of management tool with, with the DevOps being for the project team, the, the product team to work with. Um, and the rest of the business is using combinations of Microsoft Planner, Excel still, um, that sort of thing. Um, we even use Microsoft Project for a while, but that becomes too rigid. Um, so what the guys really like is the sort of Kanban board view, wherever they can get that, which is why they like Planner. That seems to be working, f that works for them all. Um, so what we'll probably do over time is um, move everyone over to Notion because you can do Kanban boards in Notion. At least then we can start aligning everything with um, this concept called OKRs, Objective and Key, key Results. Um, because that's the thing that we need to get right as a business is trying to get that all to everyone working on the same things or the same priorities generally in a quarter. Well, it sounds like you have, uh, you have some of that down for the, 
the, the product man or the project management, um, feel like I still, that's something I'm, I'm always like looking for someone who has, um, a team where they're using one of these tools and they feel like, yes, this is, you know, this has everything we need because I feel like it always is like you're either swapping platforms every once in a while, or it's kind of like a bit of a hodgepodge. So, I mean, right now I, I have this too many things between Excel, Trello, Asana, Monday.com. I have, I have all of them, which, you know, gives well, you really and, none of them. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's funny enough why I've ended up on, on notion because uh, I was using Evernote for storing, notes then i was using apple notes store notes now i've got these now i've got two notes places and and our you know notion sort of started coming around so i imported all my ex, my evernote stuff into notion um so now i i'm using i was using notions for reference materials and then i started realizing the other functionalities that, that were similar to these other tools um and the problem that i've always had with these other tools is it feels like it's such a learning curve to using them and also I don't know what it is, but I always feel like it's such a big step to use them. It's like, oh, I've got to open Asana to go and check these tasks now. Oh, I've got to. But, but because I'm in Notion all the time, um, it's more a case of, oh, let me just click over there and just check that thing quickly, then I'll go back to what I was doing. So that, so that friction's not there. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, Notion is not the most performant tool. Um, you know, it still takes a couple seconds to load in that. But because I've started putting other stuff in there, it's become... You know, it's it's all it's always open. In fact, I just noticed now it's not not open. Um, <laughs> but you know, we use it for the podcast. We I use it for work. I use it for my personal stuff. Um, you know, we're looking at renting a house now, so I had a, I had a table in Notion for that, with all my rules and that set up. So it helped you know help to make the decision thing. So, you know, it's it's those things that I think where where Notion is strong. I think there's other tools like Airtable that's quite strong. Um, and where these tools are going is the AP, with the APIs that they're developing is they are becoming your brain on a in an application. So so made someone use Airtable where they trigger all sorts of automations from from the Airtable records to go and do other things, you know, post a tweet, turn the lights on when they get home, you know, all these sorts of weird things because it's such a it's become so part of their their working pattern. Yeah, I think um, only having, you know, used Notion mostly for the podcast, I feel like it's a very, uh, there's a lot of flexibility in it and you can kind of build the views that you want to see, whereas a lot of these platforms are much more like there's more one way to use it, um, it feels like. Um, I don't know, I I, I need to tie up uh, here for today, but for the, uh, you mentioned the OKR discussion is that something you want to follow up on or how's that experiment going we haven't started totally yet we're starting that at the moment um happy to discuss it as i learn about it um yeah yeah definitely cool super all righty thanks heather talk to you soon thanks all right cheers eh? Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, 
and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.